Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Braca Frost Cult the 31st. My name is Adam, and today we are reviewing Conundrum. This is by Jeff Grubb. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mixed up two different human beings. Uh, this is by uh, Jeff Crook, actually. Not Grubb. Okay, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know how it unfolds, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance gaming materials using my affiliate links. Um, this is my perspective only. So if you disagree or you have a different perspective, share it if you happen to be watching this live. And if not, let me know your thoughts in the comments below and we'll have a bit of a discussion. It'll be fun. Now, the way these review works is uh, I, I read you a pre-written review. Basically, I... After I read like sections of the book, I just write up my thoughts and, uh, you know, try to bring some sort of synopsis of the story thus far until I finish it. And so these are sort of broken up into different chunks written at different times. Uh, after that, if there's any comments, uh, I'll sort of riff a little bit. But other than that, it's just, uh, you know, having a little bit of fun before I go watch Avatar. So <laughs> let's do this. This is clearly supposed to be a funny novel. And though there are some situations that have occurred at the outset that are humorous, I have yet to think it's actually funny as of yet. This may be due to the fact that I never saw gnomes as being inherently funny, but rather single-minded poor inventors, which is on the road to being funny, but not quite there. We're introduced to a host of gnomes before Conundrum, the novel's namesake, even makes an appearance. The premise is as follows. Sir Wolhelm, a knight of Naraka, is ordering Commodore Brig to sail his submersible, the MNS Indestructible, around the continent of Anslon to Flotsam, where he will pick up a knight of the thorn named Sir Tanar Lobcrow. From there, they will enter a rumored entrance to a tunnel that goes underneath the Blood Sea to the New Sea. Now, this trip was made in reverse by the MNS Pollywalk. But when they tried to go back the way that they came, they just disappeared. Among the crew are a series of ridiculous gnomes, a kender, and a gully dwarf. Ultimately, it seems the knights of Naraka are acting on behalf of Pyrothraxus the dragon overlord, who claimed Mount Nevermind for some unknown reason, but it never really explains that aspect of it. This is added to that Sir Tanar Lobcrow was gifted a magical communication device from the Mistress of the Night, who has some demand of him yet to be revealed. We find Conundrum as Commodore Brig is assembling his team, and Conundrum is bored to death being in Mount Nevermind trying to invent an unsolvable puzzle and then attempting to solve it as his life quest. He approaches his cousin Navigator Snork, who brings him to Brig and becomes the Chief Officer of Seeding. It takes them three e attempts to launch the MNS Indestructible, and they announce their departure by shooting off a UAEN missile, which is basically their answer to a, like a catapult, a massive catapult arrow, which decapitates a statue of Lord Gunther in Pax. As they finally successfully get underway, Conundrum ends up helping with the MNS Polywog's tunnel map and is promoted to first assistant cartographer. They stop at the northern wastes as they are running out of fresh water and plan to send a team to shore with a diver's suit called a frog suit, and we meet the gully dwarf Enzin Cobb, who greases the wheels. This also presents a harpoon-like device called a UANP, like the torpedo, torpedo UAEP, only smaller. The northern wastes go about as well as can be expected, considering the expedition includes two gnomes, a kender, and a gully dwarf. 
They used the frog suits to walk up onto the shore, noticing sunken ships on the ocean floor. Once upon dry land, the northern wastes are described more beach-like than expected, with actual tree lines. The group comes across a chaos beast that attacks them. And this is the first reference to the actual era that we're in. I mean, yes, it did mention that they're Knights of Naraka and not Knights of Tachesis, and it mentioned Dragon Overlords, but you didn't really, you know, the Fifth Age is as a bigger than, like, the Age of Despair as far as turning of major world events. And so you're not really sure if this is before or after the War of Souls until now. Knowing that there's Chaos Beasts still kicking it, you know that, you know, the War of Souls hasn't happened yet. And I came into this thinking this was actually going to be after the War of Souls because I thought Conundrum was, I don't know, going to be like in charge of this vessel like he took gold or yeah gold moon uh from um um from the chelsea to i don't know wherever they ended up going i can't remember at the moment anyway this is in the fifth age between when uh, the chaos war ended and uh, before gold moon and uh, the war of souls begin so Gob the Gully Dwarf runs off and is still missing. Conundrum nearly gets eaten by the Chaos Beast, but the ship's crew noticed the creature and aimed their UAEP at it, killing it with a well-aimed shot. This forced Conundrum to run into the ocean only to be attacked by a giant octopus that was hiding in the wreckage of the ships. Conundrum hides under an upturned cauldron and notes that while he's breathing, the bubbles that escape is actually lifting the cauldron out of reach from the octopus but also past a myriad of sharks that have uh, appeared. The MNS Indestructible brings it up on board, thinking that they could use the cauldron, and are shocked to see Conundrum inside, who is summarily promoted to chief officer in charge of oilage. This was once the Gully Dwarf's job. Now, the Gully Dwarf never actually died on screen, you know, in your theater of the mind here. Um, he just sort of ran off into the tree line. So I'm assuming he lived and he's alive, because Gully Dwarves are like... You know, they're like cockroaches. You can't kill these bastards. <laughs> they're everywhere. I actually really, really love gully dwarfs. I don't know why people have, like hate the idea of a gully dwarf so much. It's fantasy. Like, just don't think of it as a real person because it's not, people. Everyone's so sensitive. So they set sail once again, planning on getting many more cauldrons for the use conundrum showcased. They see in the distance a minotaur vessel approaching, and it's flying a black flag. Seeing that they intend to ram and board the Indestructible, the Indestructible dives underwater. Once down there, they realize that they're losing breathable air and cannot see anything, so they use Dr. Both's Peer Uppet scope to guide themselves, and all I have to ask is, what did the good doctor use his Peer It Uppet scope for before this usage? Because he's just a doctor. Where is he putting his Peer Uppet scope, and what is he peering up? Inquiring minds want to know. Anyway... They evade the Minotaurs and come to land to resupply. And this is where I become culturally triggered. More tongue-in-cheek than anything else. They set up a whole series of events based around a haggis. Yeah, haggis. Now, if you've never had haggis, it's basically an oaty, spicy meatloaf wrapped in a sheep's stomach. It has a, usually has like a liver flavor to it. It's not bad at all. And depending on the recipe, it can be quite delicious. But I know it's a running joke. A joke to talk smack about Scottish cuisine. But that in itself is pure ignorance for those who perpetuate this myth. 
One, haggis isn't bad. And two, Scottish cuisine is the envy of people around the world. Where do you think Angus beef comes from? The seafood readily available in Scotland is among the best in the world. So can we please retire this terrible trope already? Moving on. The whole haggis joke is that it's so bad that they have to bury it in the woods so as not to insult the town because they couldn't swallow it. By burying it, they draw the ire of Grim Alderwand, a sentient badger with a magic wand. <coughs> this threw me for a bit of a loop. I've never heard of sentient animals in Dragonlance before. Like, I've heard of divine beings that are in animal form, but this is just like a badger that walks around. It, it, it totally took me out of Dragonlance. I, I felt like I was in some other fantasy world for a bit. But anyway, he shares his plight that every time the hairy monkeys, as he calls any mortals above ground, have buried their garbage or haggis down below, trolls come to dig it up and kill some of the ground-dwelling creatures. So they end up stringing two gnomes up in the trees to be eaten by the trolls instead. The Kender Rasmus Pinch Pocket and the Gnome Conundrum ultimately escape them with a I'm sorry, ultimately rescue them with a wonderful insult-laden diatribe by the Kender. And some of the greatest moments in all Dragonlance novels are Kenders talking shit about other people. <laughs> yes, most of it is racially motivated, and yes, pretty insulting. But that's the point. That's the running joke. That's what's funny about the entire situation. When you start getting sensitive as a reader to fantasy races, and you start getting sensitive to the idea of them being made fun of, you have just gone a little bit too real world in this fantasy setting. Remember, this is make-believe. It has nothing to do with you or your feelings. So stop being a little wimp and just grow up and understand that fantasy isn't real. And it's okay. People are so damn sensitive. Anyway, the Kender-laden insults were directed toward the troll, who ultimately is chasing the Kender as he's running around trying to avoid him, and they fall into one of the traps laid by Grimm. Back with the Thorn Knight, Sir Tanar Lobcrow. He is resting post-coitus when a Mistress of the Night calls him through the magical device that he has. Tanar's uh, girl from that evening wakes up, and the Mistress demands that he take care of her, take care of her, and so, he summarily throws her out of his four-story window. Yeah! So the first, like, real action we get from this guy is to find out that he had charmed a girl to have sex with him, and in order to get rid of her, he just murders her. <laughs> I, this is Dragonlance, people. This has always been Dragonlance. So for everyone that's like, no, Dragonlance is, I don't know, care-loving and sensitive and it's heartwarming. No, no, no. Dragonlance is brutal. <laughs> really brutal. All right, so this is, in fact, very pretty brutal in and of itself. But the two get right back to talking as if nothing happened. Like, it's just a Tuesday. It's crazy. The mistress explains her plan that Tanar is to join the gnomes on the MNS Indestructible uh, to find a passage into the abyss so that they can both enter the abyss and use whatever power that is within it that uh, Takis is formally used. Because, of course, you know, the gods were supposed to have left at this time. 
I find myself laughing more as this book continues. So either I am suffering Stockholm Syndrome or it's actually getting entertaining. I'm honestly not sure which at this point. The gnomes now have glowworms from the forest to light the interior while underwater and have decided to add a battering ram when they dock in Flotsam. They also decided to add portholes so that they may be able to map the sunken city of Istar. So they meet up with Sir Tanner and some hijinks ensue. Meanwhile, Sir Tanner talks to the captain about visiting the Abyss, and Commodore Brig immediately shuts the conversation down, saying that though they may have been, uh, they may have be forced to take him aboard, they do not have to take any orders from him. And this leads Tanner to charm Conundrum. He's a, a sorcerer. And another thing I loved about this is that they really framed the idea that sorcery is unreliable. Wild sorcery in Kryn in the Fifth Age is wholly unreliable. And that's the point, that you don't have duration spells anymore, you can't really time travel anymore, everything is very, very limited and, and much more real as far as like a, a grounded fantasy rather than a high m magical fantasy. That was really the strength of Fifth, uh, fifth Age saga system, in my opinion. And to see it portrayed in the books like this is actually pretty reassuring. I, I really liked it. So anyway, they leave port and head to the center of the Blood Sea and add Minotaur vessel. Uh, another uh, Minotaur vessel attempts to board them. So they use their newly installed battering ram, hit right into the Minotaur ship, sinking the Minotaur ship, but they're now stuck in the Minotaur ship. And so they all sink because they never figured, they never came up with the idea of creating a reverse button. For this submersible. They go down with the Minotaur ship and figure out a way to get out of the ship, uh, out of the Minotaur ship's hold as they move toward the center of the sunken Istar city. This forces Tanar, who is suffering wildly from claustrophobia, to bring Conundrum into his room as the Mistress of the Night contacts him. Tanar casts some form of sleep on Conundrum as Snork comes by his door and overhears a female voice. He peeks in and sees the Mistress telling Tanar, uh, to take control of the indestructible. So Snork cries mutiny as Tanar uses his magic to break Snork's neck. I mean, this is like, like exorcist, like twisting his head full, like 180, like all the way back, completely disgusting and like just raw and brutal. There's this juxtaposition in this book that I'm still trying to process between its rough, evil brutality and its light comedic sensibility. But they're both here in full effect, and it's very strange. I'm not sure it works, but I'm not entirely sure it doesn't work either. It's very, very strange. Anyway, then Conundrum wakes up telling uh, uh, Tanar, telling Conundrum that Snork had fallen and broken his neck, twisted all the way backward, by the way, which is, you know, just something that happens. And that he needs to relay the message to the others. But what we got to remember is that Conundrum is charmed by Tanar. And so he does it and he believes it. Brig comes in, sees the commotion, calls for the doctor who ultimately confirms that yes, Snork is dead. They move Tanar to Brig's room uh, as Brig doesn't trust this cockamamie story that he's come up with but conundrum is convinced because of the magic and, and he's completely beside himself in sorrow about his cousin's death just crying and everything and it's actually pretty heartwarming like i mean it's it's sorrowful is really what it is so he now must take on snork's life quest and becomes the navigator 
They continue traveling the undersea caves and find themselves completely lost. They notice a mild red hue through the darkness and head toward an underground cavern that has some air in it. They come up and go to investigate, only discover that it's a red dragon's lair. The dragon comes and attacks them, picking up the indestructible in its claws, which fires its UAEPs at the dragon's mouth, shooting many gallons of salt water into it, and the dragon freaks out, flings the indestructible away, which hits the water and has all those dragon claw marks in it, so it begins to sink. They close the interior hatches in order to stop the water from filling the entire uh, submersible and speed away from the dragon into another cavern, only to lose control and end up beaching their vessel. Now, with half of their crew dead and no way to repair their ship, they decide to explore the cavern looking for ore so that they can uh, correct or uh, repair their ship. They find themselves in an ancient, massive, city-like stone space, too large for dwarves to have crafted, when suddenly the massive dwarves burst open and an enormous crab emerges. The crab reaches up on its hind legs and then <laughs> straight up tips down onto its back and just lays there dormant. And then the belly pops open and a gnome comes out, starts screaming and swinging his wrench around like all pissed off that this crab mechanical crab that we now know is a mechanical crab uh, turned up on its back. This gnome is Commodore Briggs' brother, Captain Hosser, of the missing MNS Polywog. They learn that Hosser is the only survivor of his ship who also met the dragon. And it turns out that this is a giant's city, and they are at war with the dragon named um, Charinsanth. I don't, I don't really know how to pronounce it. It's Charinsanth, I think. Anyway, they, uh, the giants ended up blocking the tunnel that connected their two homes a long time ago, and Hosser has been hiding from the giants who emerge from the city whenever the mist comes up every day. The Kender Rasmus is curious about the dragon and goes to find it sleeping, then tumbles down the crevice from his peeping spot. The Thorn Knight Tanar freezes him with a spell and offers him to the dragon as a morsel and an opportunity to get the knight's Oh, I'm sorry, the giants, if the dragon helps Tanar take over the indestructible. They make the deal, and as far as we know, the dragon straight up eats the Kender. But the way that it goes down is that the Kender's not dead. He's just frozen in, in place. And so he's looking up at the dragon, and the dragon is like communicating with the Kender telepathically, I think. And it wasn't 100% clear. And he's like, uh, oh, you're not dead. I'm going to eat you. And uh, the Kender was like, this is fantastic. Make sure I'm, I'm alive and awake when you swallow me. I've never been swallowed by a dragon before, and I don't want to miss it. He's like joyously going to his doom. And that's the last we hear of it. So we just assume that he actually ate this Kender that we have grown to love throughout the entirety of this novel. It's crazy. This entire story is about the whittling down of the gnome's crew. Each death from here on out is more tragic as we've spent the novel learning each of their quirks, but that is the result of this novel, revealing how Conundrum survives and ends up at the Citadel of Light. Tanar convinces Sir Grumdish, a gnome who wants to be a knight of Salamnia, who has always wanted to kill a dragon, in order to confront Charinsanth in his mechanical knight suit. He opens up the block tunnel, which triggers the landslide burying this gnome, and Tanar is standing there as the dragon comes through, uh, acknowledges that he made the deal with him to uh, you know, get the indestructible, and then completely reneges on the deal and burns Tanner up. So there, 
Like, no one is getting out of this alive. Everyone is dying. Uh, at the Indestructible, they sent a gnome down this massive hole that they saw, which ended up being a way to get out of this cavern system, as the giant emerges with the mist from the city and starts attacking the mechanical crab with Hosser in it. Then the dragon enters the fray, so it's crab versus giant versus dragon. They're all fighting, and they end up with the dragon nearly killed by a sword through the throat, courtesy of Grumdish, the gnome who escaped the rock slide, and the crab and giant were both attacking it at the same time. It burns up the indestructible, and so like the interior and exterior of the indestructible all, ah, are all on fire. So Brig and Conundrum submerge the vessel in the well that they just dropped their friend into. As the water pours in, dousing the flames, Brig knows that he can't go back to the shore, so he abandons all of the gnomes that are up there fighting the dragon and giant, and he follows the tunnel down as Conundrum is completely unconscious. They end up running out of air and run aground in Shalsea. The mystics pull Conundrum out and revive him, but everyone else is dead. He is stunned by the occurrences and wanders mindlessly until he finds himself in the magical hedge maids and becomes lost. He accidentally finds his way out and realizes that he's discovered his life quest to map the magical hedge maids of uh, the Citadel of Light. Now, all of the gnomes in this book who died, which is all of the gnomes in this book, they all completed their life quest one way or another. And the only way that you actually are completing your life quest is that if the story is carried on posthumously so that it can prove that they did, in fact, complete their life quest. And so the captain's log book is essential to proving that all of these gnomes who are on here, there's 20 total, all finished their life quests. They just happened to die doing it. This book started off slow, but as you grew to know the gnomes, Kender, and even the Gully Dwarf briefly, you grow to love them, and their misadventures ultimately were pretty entertaining. Many of the gnomes ended up completing their life quests before dying, which is bitterly sad, and I did not see the end coming at all. In fact, I was at the last 70 pages going, how the hell are they going to get out of this cavern, and how the hell is Conundrum going to get to Shalsea? None of this makes any sense, but they just wrapped everything up so quickly. I really thought it was at a point where the writer was like, oh, I just wrote myself into a corner. We got to really wrap this thing up. Let me just hurry up and end it really quick. In the end, I did rather enjoy the novel. I was afraid that it would be too much gnome techno babble with just ridiculous acronyms, but in the end, it was really just enough of them. And you really do and grow to love Commodore and Conundrum. I would definitely recommend this to any fans of Gnomes or of Conundrum from the War of Souls trilogy. But also, if you want an unexpectedly enjoyable Age of Mortals adventure, this is a pretty good one. I will say that the plotline with the Knights of uh, Tachesis or Knights of Naraka is ultimately pointless. It doesn't bear any fruit narratively. It, you don't even really need it for the misadventures throughout the entire course of the novel. And it isn't until halfway through that the knight actually gets on the indestructible in the first place. So it's really just to showcase brutality in the Fifth Age world for no real reason. So it could really just be cut. It would probably actually make the book better if it was. I did appreciate how they portrayed, again, the wild sorcery in the novel, though. I mean, that, they, they did a great job with that. And it, it just it led you to understand why magical items are so significant, because they actually help support your wild sorcery and make you actually be able to drain the magic from those items in order to cast effective spells. 
Uh, so, you know, everyone searches for them ad nauseum, and it also goes to explain why Berylanthernox is so obsessed with finding them as well. But ultimately, that is it for my review of Conundrum by Jeff Crook. What did you think about the novel? Do you have a favorite part? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. Justin, thank you so much for tuning in live. Skull Cowboy, it's always great to see you. I hope you guys have a fantastic new year. Thank you for watching this review. Up next is going to be Lord Toad. But before that, I am super stoked to dive into this bad boy. He finally wrote a memoir about his time with the Doors. Finally! I've been waiting so long. It's actually pretty good, too. All right, so this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, and I hope you join me in the celebration. Thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjavar.